Knife Talk is sponsored by Even Heat, the manufacturers of the finest heat treating ovens available. Find your next oven at evenheat-kiln.com. To the chopper! Welcome to Knife Talk, episode 113. And we've got a special guest today. So here, as usual, is myself, Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives. We've got Jeff Fader of Fader Knives, Mareko Momassi of Momassi Fire Arts. And today, for one day only, we've got Will Frederick Stelter. Hey, Will, how are you? <laughs> How's it going, Craig? How's it going, guys? All good. All good. How's it going? Frederick. Good. Good, I like good, that, good. Nick. That's a good middle name. That's a very strong middle name. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like it. I didn't know how to spell it until I was about 16. But uh, so let let's start with what we normally do, talking about what we've been up to this week. Let let's start let's start with our, our new guest today. Uh, well, what's this week been like for you? Well, um, it's been been a bit of a varied week. I started off the week hand sending on the project that we're working on, which is the Thigh Honder. Uh, so it's um, roughly twelve feet of scalloped bevels that I've been hand sanding on, which is uh, just about the absolute worst thing that anyone could possibly ever want to hand sand on, because I am unable to grind it to the level that I usually can grind things. And so, rather than being able to start hand sanding at four hundred grit, I'm instead hand sanding at started off at. 220 and then uh, had to work out some pretty rough lines on the inside of the scallops and then you have to blend all the scallop lines together so it's it's a pretty rough day but uh yeah it's been been a good opportunity that to use some rhino wet which i know we're all fans of oh nice slipping in a sponsor already nice Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah (laughs) i was just gonna ask so that sword you're making is six feet long right it's going to be shorter than that when it's done. It's going to be like five foot six, I think, or something like that, or somewhere right it's around crazy. there. Crazy. Crazy. So, for those who don't know, Will has um, changed the way he works compared to when he was originally on the show. So, we interviewed Will um, way back, probably about two years ago. I interviewed Will with the sort of old format of the show. And Will is an incredible bladesmith, um, but he's gone on to change the way he works a bit. So can you just explain to the listeners, Will, if, they, if they're not aware of what you do now? Yeah, so uh, basically I started off uh, as a, just a regular bladesmith, hanging out, making knives by myself, which was a ton of fun. Uh, but then my, my good friend Alex Steele uh, decided that he wanted to come and, and move to Montana and and make knives and he asked me to work with him and he runs a, a, a big YouTube channel, uh, doing metalworking and blacksmithing and bladesmithing and, uh, kind of whatever. And so he asked me to work with him. And so I've been, been, been working with Alec for, uh, a little over a year and a half now or right around a year and a half. Uh, and it's been an absolute blast to get a, gotten to do some, some really, really crazy stuff that I definitely wouldn't have gotten to do otherwise. Mm. Build some, some crazy swords and, explore some other avenues that would have taken me years and years to get to go down. So it's been, it's been pretty fun. Nice. Nice. So are you still making blades for, for people or is it all about the YouTube channel now? It's, I I would, I would say yes, but very hesitantly because I think I sold like four knives last year or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I haven't finished any this year. So it's, it's yes, I do, but it's still very, very, very limited. 
Uh, and I've got, yeah, just, it's, it's kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm working on knives um, or, or swords, I guess, rather all day long. And so generally when I, when I want to relax and hang out, then, then I want to not be working on knives anymore. And so it's taken a little bit of the charm away from it for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that happens for, you know, it, I definitely felt that way when I was a full-time Smith, but I just had to keep on making knives. So I get to go hiking and, and do other random stuff now. Um, but every once in a while I get the bug and get back in the shop and start making some, some more knives to sell. And I'm actually doing that right now, which is oh, pretty cool. fun. Cool. Yeah. That's how we got him on here today. I was on his, I was on his Instagram live Valentine's day evening and he's, he's mm-hmm. sitting on his bench hand sanding when he should be out and c- cavorting. <laughs> canoodling <laughs> something no he was he was he was canoodling with his knife it's showing your age there jeff cavorting jeez <laughs> Morocco, how's your week been uh my wife uh, my wife <laughs> my wife my wife my wife has been good uh my week has also been <laughs> pretty good uh just kind of standard hand sanding blade grinding handle sculpting all that good stuff uh i think what was it last week at the end of the episode we were talking about what we were hoping to get done i think i basically got everything done i got uh another braid uh what is it the briar patch braid mosaic knife that i am uh let's see i got it ferric etched and today i'm gonna get it in the coffee for contrast um and and i think it's gonna look pretty sweet i'll get some pictures up in my story um not that that matters for monday's episode but uh yeah that's basically it just standard stuff uh did some family stuff for valentine's uh we we went out to a restaurant my son is i think he's just he's a great kid but he's just not ready for restaurants yet um we went to this place called red robin which is kind of like a chain restaurant and it's just got a lot going on. A lot of crazy posters all over the place, loud music, <clears throat> tons of people. He did not want to sit, and he, he just wanted to run around. And it's kind of actually the same story anywhere we go. And we thought that this would be good, and I thought it would work. And uh, it wasn't horrible, but <laughs> I think we're definitely going to pump the brakes on, on going out for right. dinners with the dude for a while. <laughs> yeah, you can get pretty hectic. These things happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No. What well, about you, Jeff? It's the only one way to only one way to learn. Really, is to, is to right. you know, keep doing it. Yeah. Um, it's a good week. Um, did a lot of preparation for. Uh, I got an event coming up. I'm doing with uh, Chef Charlie Palmer. We're gonna do a uh, a knife skills thing. He and I are gonna go together to uh, some event, and we're gonna do that. I was kind of a little prep on that, and then uh, I actually had. Uh, I had these butchers come up on Friday and it was an eye opening experience. So I'm going to be doing, um, an, a, a signature series, uh, with these butchers and these butchers are like production butchers. These aren't like, you know, artisanal butchers. So, so they brought a huge bag full of knives. Like I thought, I mean, I thought I didn't even know. I mean, the bag, I thought it was like, they had their kid there too. I thought the bag they were carrying was the pack and play for some of you guys know when you have kids, you bring like a foldable crib. I thought that's what it was. And you know, oh, these are the knives. <laughs> so they had a, just a, just a ton of knives. And we were kind of <clears throat> talking about what, you know, how a butcher uses knives. And it's totally different from the way um, a chef would use a knife and the, the things that a chef, you know, is interested in with the heel and the, you know, the thickness and everything like that. 
it's almost more important to have um, the handle. I mean, the handle is so important in the way they hold it. They don't use a pinch grip when they're when they're butchering, especially production butchering. They're sometimes they're holding it in the you know the slicing position. Sometimes they have it backwards where the the knuckle guard is in the palm of your hand and you're kind of like using leverage. So it was really really uh, it was an eye opening experience um, because they were you know we were kind of going over what they do and they were saying you know when you're, you're a butcher, you're using like three different kinds of knives, which mm. brings me to something that was interesting because it goes back to a couple episodes to the, uh, when we had the, uh, professor Cunningham in terms of the Zodiac killer, we were talking about the, the, the case, the case we were talking about, that was the, uh, if you listened to the last couple episodes ago, we're talking about the murder, uh, or the, wi- the witnesses had noticed that the person had a, a, a box, a wooden, a wooden sheath hanging from their belt. When the butchers brought out their knives, they had this aluminum case, and the aluminum case has had a strap that you put to your waist. And I was like, we were asking about that, and she's like, well, you know, we have we're using three to four different knives at a time. So you know, butchery is part of butchery is not just the meat, but it's also how you know the the efficiency. I mean, you're paying the guy by the hour, so mm-hmm. you have to be really quick and efficient. So what they do is they have these cases that they wear, these hard cases that they wear on the side of their belts, so they can put a couple knives in. So wherever they're going, they always have all their knives on their hip, but it's all in like one, like a block. So it was just yeah. like it was bringing back to the podcast it was and i know we're all not going to talk about it because everyone's afraid that you know this guy's going to come out of the woodworks but i'm telling you that it was not a drywall knife or whatever that was so we had a good time um and i made i made them um like i made the joke last week about the sausage prick i made a sausage pricking knife as a as a gift and they were super pumped and now I'm now i'm just anxious about designing their knife because all these things i i thought that i knew i don't know so, so, so what's one, the one sort of takeaway you've had from yeah. that? Is it you got thicker spines? Is it what, what, what's the the biggest thing that you need change to change? Well, I, you know, they were they were saying that they like their knives stiff, and I and I noticed that when I held their knives and I flexed their knives, they were all three thirty seconds. You know, they weren't anything crazy. Um, it to me it was more along the lines of the comfort of the way that they hold them if 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 you have it so you're holding it like in a stabbing position your 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 the 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 knuckle guard is in the palm of your hand so a lot of times it makes a lot of sense and i think maybe you guys have even seen some of these knives that are partial tang knives where that you, you know that you don't see the it's not a full tang you don't see the entire profile in the, in the steel it's because they're the, the manufacturers are trying to produce the knuckle guard very ergonomic so it fits in your hand nice so that was a big thing and then the other big takeaway was you know production butchers sharpen their knives like crazy like all these knives were like toothpicks and they sharpen them once a week some of them send it out to get sharpened they were all used into oblivion and and they were telling me that they send them out because they just don't have the time to do it themselves and one of the things they were saying is you know every time we send them out i always feel like the edge you know, I lose the edge even faster and faster. And I was explaining yeah. that you're also losing the geometry of the knife. So, so that's one of the reasons. Like, but the 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 use and the abuse of these knives, I was kind of taken aback by. Mm. So, so we're gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna try good to. That abuse. you're getting. 
you're getting people in the shop, you know, and they're, and they're explaining how they use their knives. You, you can think about it a bit more rather than just, you know, this is what I think a butcher's knife should be. It's good that you're getting, you know, the experts well, in, if you like. Very we nice. got lucky. Usually it doesn't happen. Usually I'll meet them or we'll talk. And, and, you know, I've never had a specialty person before. I haven't, you know, butchers and chefs are totally different. I mean, a chef, you're, you're preparing the material and the food to make a dish. But the butchers, it's all about the preparation of the material. So... <clears throat> I had no idea they happened to be by and we you know had them up here but they were the most they were the most helpful to me in terms of what they needed but one of them was one of the big things was you know the volume of sharpening that these knives get done mm. so yeah any of the meat cutters I've ever seen work my brother actually used to be a meat cutter and they're hitting it on the hone basically like every 5 minutes or something yeah. like that which which is a lot for any knife and then to also yeah be sharpened every week i mean just as in contrast you know i cook with my knife every day but we i only sharpen it like once a year right so yeah and and you know they're also coming into different coming into contact with different materials like bone a lot of joints and bones and hard tendons and stuff like that to cut through um well production's totally different i mean they're they're having to break down they're breaking down these animals very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a sharp knife is, you know, money, you know, money in the bank. You know, it's, right. it's so, but I, so I'm actually going to be designing the boning. I'm changing the way I make the boning knives in general. You, you know, normally I made my boning knives just like my fillet knife, just a little bit on the thicker side. But, you know, the type of people who are using bone, the, the boning knives I make are generally, you know, they're just, you know, spatchcocking a juicy bird. They're not really worried too much about, you know, leverage and stuff like that. Yeah. No. Yeah. Nothing, <clears throat> nothing from that one, Craig? I'm trying to be an adult this week. I think we we uh, oh we okay. got pretty low last week. So try just trying to be an adult this week. We've talked about <laughs> okay, and well, and all you know, sorts. So. <laughs> all, all right. All right. Hey, Craig. How was your week? Smooth. So I finally had um, the chef knives that I've been doing for this sustainable knife project. Um, I had them water jet cut out the blanks and they've arrived. So before they go to heat treat, I've had to start doing the um, the file work across the spines. So I've got 100 knives to do and it's, ah, it's blister inducing. My hands, are just, they look terrible because you've got those little tiny needle files and you're trying to do, ah, once you've done three or four, you really feel it in your hands. And I've got 100 to do. So I've started on that. Um, and, and I generally keep the file work quite simple anyway. It's nothing too intricate. Um, but, yeah, it really just digs into your hands. So, so Craig, what, what sort of files are you using for that? Do you have a, a specialty file or a company that you like for that? The, no, they're just cheap. cheap. I, I think they're unbranded. I don't even know what brand they are. But they're, they're, they're diamond... Um, Files like needle files, you know, they're small with a little rubber handle. Oh, um, diamond files. Yes, yeah. They they generally come in a pack of sort of ten, and they're different sort of profiles: round, oval, um, a diamond, a. Square. Is there a reason that you go with that over, over like velour bay or something like that? No, um, they're just what I first got my hands on, um, and it seemed to work well for me. That I can work really quickly um, on a on a softened steel, um, and they just work really awesome. nice. Yeah, they just work really nice, but. Um, yeah, when you've got a, you know a big quantity to do, such as a hundred knives, it yeah, <laughs> it's not the easiest. So as yeah, 
as well as the uh, the firework, um, I've been working on packaging for so long, for years. I've never got packaging right. Um, and for these sustainable knives, I want them to be packaged beautifully. I want these to be a product. Um, and alongside the knife, I've made this book as well. And it's a, it's a square book. And I'm thinking, well, how am I going to package a knife with a square book? How is that going to work, you know, in one one package? So I think I've got the way. So I've I've got these custom boxes made, um, which are square, which will fit the book. But generally, the knife wouldn't fit in because the knife is too long. But the knife now goes at a diagonal because it gives you that extra space. And it's just the right size to fit with the book. So everybody who's ordered one of these sustainable knives, and Will, your mum, your mum actually ordered one, which was lovely. I know. She's very excited about it. <laughs> cool. cool. Good to hear. Good to hear. So she'll get one too. So it's it's going to be packaged in, in a in a shipping box, um, but it'll have the book and the knife all just really nicely. It's, it's like custom packaging, especially for this knife. Really excited for that. So yeah, I've been working on that. Um, and it, it's just, it's one of those things where it's a completely different skill. You know, it's all sort of computer work and doing sort of 3D CAD and all that to sort of imagine how it's going to work to explain to the printers and so on. It's just been real fun. So yeah, so it's been file work and computer work. Um, but it's been a good week. We've been rocked by more um, storms and so on. So it's been indoors all week. But um, yeah, it's been good. Real good. Shall we talk about some news? This is Marco Malmasi recording or reporting. Record. I totally fucked that up. <laughs> Anyways, uh, reporting from Icebox Studio. Uh, first off, we're looking at the Artisans of Steel calendar. There's still nothing coming up for a few more weeks until March. Uh, and uh but other other than that it, you know the artisans of steel calendars are still available uh there's still a few of them left uh you you if you want to get a hold of them they're available on my website uh you know i think they're really cool calendars uh I lo- i've been cutting the the pictures out actually and posting them around the shop now um and it's just it's nice to have that kind of I don't know. I, I feel like whenever you're in an auto shop or auto mechanics garage or something like that, you always see the hot rods or or the scantily clad babes or something like that. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to be surrounded by knives that inspired me. So uh, that's why I started making the calendar. Um, and then uh, let's see. Oh, next up. Well, wait. Jeff, you got uh, you got your class coming up this weekend, right? Oh, but is it full? It's in a couple weeks, but, you know... We, you know, there's, that's it. I mean, yeah, I'm going to be down. Are there any spots house. left? Uh, no, no. So no. <laughs> by the nice. time that's this is done, no. Yeah, so. that's great. And did you want to say something about Ben Snur? Do you know if his class is filled up yet? I mean, you can, for sure, if you, if you're looking for a hammer making class, um, by all means, go down to Doghouse Forge and there might be a couple classes open, uh, spots open in Ben Snur's class, but um i'm under the impression it's all squared away but nice. give it a whirl definitely for sure oh yeah it's not so it's so close it's so close to when we're recording it's kind of hard for people to kind of change all their plans right off the bat sure yeah i mean uh, you never know somebody might last second work something out uh i will say about travis wart's hammer in uh, which is happening in montana and uh mr stelter you're gonna be there right in montana travis words in arizona oh my god i'm so sorry <laughs> It's Arizona. Yeah, I, I got. I was getting mixed up with 
with Josh's. Anyways, all right. So you, let's you try just that got again. me really, really, really excited, and then now I'm sad. <laughs> Here's that. All right. Yeah. Travis Worst Hammering is down in Arizona, not in Montana, uh, March 14th and 15th. Uh, There are a lot of great presenters that are going to be there. We got Owen Wood, Larry Fuegan, Vince Evans, Mike Venino, myself, and Mike Quesenberry, and Jason Johnson. If you don't recognize a lot of those names, it's because there are a lot of old school players with a lot of incredible talents, especially. Makers like uh, Vince Evans, <clears throat> Owen Wood, and, and Larry Fuegan for sure. I mean, even Mike Venino. Realist. I mean, they're all they're all old school guys. And I think if you're a newer maker, this this is a great opportunity. Any of these kind of hammering events to come and learn directly from basically world class masters. Um, and so the hammering is in Casa del Grande in Arizona, March 14th and 15th. If you go to TravisWertz.com. Um, over on their shop page, and they're actually at the top of the page. You can go to the Hammerin uh, drop-down menu, and it'll give you all the information you want. But uh, again, super talented, and incredible people there, and it's it's also a great networking opportunity. It's kind of like going to a trade show, like going to Blade or anything like that. It's an opportunity to also connect with other uh, makers that you may follow, but you've never actually met in real life. So, yeah, and we we talk out. about classes a lot as well on on the show. Um, but we've got another one. So Alex Paul, um, who's based down in the southwest of the UK in Somerset, lovely, lovely place. Um, he's just released some more classes too. And Moonshine Metalwork alerted us about this. Um, they actually invited me along as well, but unfortunately I can't make it. Um, so, yeah, it's a real shame. But they've got a, a one-day blacksmith knife class. Got I'm not 100% forge. sure. I don't th- I'm not sure that they're available now. I think that they're going to be upcoming. I'm under the impression that they're just ah okay. okay. Steve wanted okay. me to mention that that Alex had a lot of there's a lot of opportunities and as you were saying in Somerset they're they they're going to be doing some blacksmith knife classes, axe making classes, um, forge chef knife classes, and there's going to be a lot of classes on their website. I just wanted to bring it up because we talk about these American schools and one of the mm. great things about um, Alex is he does he's does amazing classes in, uh, in Somerset uh, and the boys are awesome and at some point the modern forge guys are just, we're supposed to come out there uh, we've been fooling around we almost weren't going to make it for August but just I don't think it's going to work right now but we're going to they extended an invitation to us and we're going to figure something out so yeah go to alexpoleironwork.com and go check those guys out they're, they're going to be doing some awesome classes if you're in the uk or even in the eu i think it'd be worth ch- checking them out awesome combat abrasives make the world's best abrasive belts for knife makers available in any size and at unbelievable prices Go take a look at CombatAbrasives.com and get 15% off with the promo code KNIFETALK15. Do it now! So, okay, brace yourself. Why do you build along? along. (laughs) (laughs) Every time. (laughs) So, the build-along knife, it's been so great to see this many people doing it. So, over 100 people are doing the build-along knife now. And if you follow the hashtag KNIFETALKBA, you'll see what everybody's doing. Um, the Build Along is sponsored by KnifePrint.com. Um, if you've never done any sort of CAD work or computer work for de- to design a knife, go take a look at KnifePrint.com. But I just want to read out some of the people who have been have been doing this because some of the work has just been incredible. So Heelhound34, it's only his second knife, and it's looking fantastic. Marcus MW Knifeworks, he's making his from a file, and so is Wandering Priest. Just 
you know, taking a file and just making these knives and they're beautiful. Um, HCKS Texas has actually done his live on Twitch. So you can go and take a look at the way he's done it. Um, Brian House from Housework, he's done a build along with his son and he's done this amazing video um, of it all. So you can go and take a look on YouTube. Um, there's just so many people who've done really, really good work. Um, I know Blue Hound Blade, um, they actually order their blank from Knife Print. So you, with Knife Print, you can go online and you can you can design a knife, but they'll actually send you that blank as well. You pick the steel, you pick the thickness, and they'll send that to you in the post too. So that's what um, Blue Hound Blade Works did, and it seems to be working out very well for him. Um, and also KD Knife Works, I had a message from him. So <clears throat> he described himself as a computer illiterate carpenter. Um, and he's managed to do it. So he's gone on to knifeprint.com. We've got our template file there. You can print that out either into steel and they'll send it to you or via paper and and just, you know, make the knife along with us. So I think we're into week five now. So we're just about starting to see finished knives and they're amazing. So go take a look at Knife Talk BA and that's just the hashtag on Instagram. And I think if you use it on YouTube as well, you'll see quite a few videos of people making their knives. Um, and it just looks really good to see variations in that in our design. So thank you all so much for doing that. And um, yeah, it's going to be cool to see more finished knives. So please share your work with us. How's yours going, over. Jeff? Started over. I didn't like. You know, the funny thing is, is you know, it's so it was so easy to use, but once I kind of cut it out and drilled the holes and heat treated it, and I started putting it in my hand, I was like, I don't like this very much. So I, I actually changed the handle and I started over. <laughs> So you're you know, mocking my design, I, Jeff. You're mocking my design. I screwed up your design. I screwed up your design by changing it to look like my design, and I hated my hand. You know what the funny thing is? Is I I should have stuck with your design, but then I had to monkey around and change it to my design, and then I didn't like my design. So I should have my, just listened to you. In fairness, my handle is pretty small. I've I've got tiny Trump hands, so it it. it, it for most people, maybe they want to extend the handle a bit, but it's been lovely to see the variations. So yeah, and some people have got you know some some spear points and so on. It's it's really nice. Go take a look. Knife talk ba is the hashtag. Shall we get to the main meat of the show? Hey man, can I ask you a question? All right, this is hey man, can I ask you a question? This is where you, the listener, drive the show. So we're going to ask some questions. You're going to ask questions, and we're going to try to answer them. And luckily for us, we have Will Stelter here to guide us along. Their first question comes oh. from Burning River Forge. Don't worry. Don't worry, Will. You're all squared away. Uh, you don't have, it's not just <laughs> you. You don't have to. You can sit. Uh, you know, you could just be like, I don't know. We, never, we rarely say that, but it's I'm fine. Confusing. Fine. We're all good. We're good. So... The first question comes from Burning River Forge. I just got my even heat and I love it. Do you guys temper in it? I ran into an issue of the bricks holding too much heat from a previous normalizing cycle. Any tips for holding steady low temperatures? What do you think, guys? It's not just an even heat thing. I think most ovens do the same. You know, do the same thing after you go super high yeah. heat treating it. You know, super high temperatures, mm -hmm. and then you're trying to use the oven at a lower temperature. What do you think? It, that's what they're designed to do. They're designed to hold in the temperature. So what's happening is those all the energy stored in those bricks, those fire bricks that are inside the um, the oven, they're just holding on to that to that heat. So we've talked about this in the past. There's various ways to sort of get that energy out of the oven as quick as possible. So the way I do it is I have a bunch of fire bricks. Um, I put them into the oven, leave them in there for about 10 minutes, let them absorb as much heat as they can, then pull them out. That's a, a quick way of sort of cooling down the oven. Um, 
aside from that, I mean, get yourself another even heat. <laughs> you know? <laughs> get a second oven. That's a good move. Yeah. I mean, I've I've put a fan right in front of the opening to help blow air, cool air in, to help just shove and cycle out hot air. And I've never had a problem. In fact, they've, over even heat, they've actually advised and said that, you know, the elements and, and a lot of people are concerned about the elements and the bricks and, you know, getting cooled down too quickly. And, and at even heat, they've tried to do a good job uh, or they've done a great job designing it in a way that that's not a problem to throw a fan right in front of it and start blowing cool air in. I've even taken uh, like my my shop vac and, you know, one side's the vacuum side, the other side's a blower, and use that to help blow air out, to just help start cycling that hot air out. Um, but even if you just open the door and let it cool off, like it gets down to 400, 300 degrees, probably within about 45 minutes. And I'm sure, I mean, ideally, you got a lot of other stuff going on in the shop. You just... After you harden the blade, let it sit there and let the oven cool down. But I think the, <clears throat> pardon me, I think uh, some of the issue is, is when you drop it down. Oh, go ahead, Will. Sorry. I was just going to say, uh, I, I think we all, we all know that we don't want, you don't want to wait a couple days before tempering. Uh, and I've never Definitely. really figured out, like, I, I know kind of the science behind why you want to temper pretty quickly afterwards. But do any of you guys know the exact science? Because I'm a little bit in the dark on that. This is the wrong show, Will. <laughs> we don't yeah, know. Is... <laughs> one thing we one may thing have given I'll... you the impression that we know what we're doing. We haven't got a clue. <laughs> it's what not, yeah, it's knife talk, not knife. But... No. So one of the things, and I've actually when I when I got my first even heat, I would actually when I, when I met the even heat guys, I bought my first even heat. And I talked to them about it, and <clears throat> the issue was I was having, which was I think is what this question is is after you heat treat and you bring the oven down, you can get it down below 300 degrees, but once you kick it on to do a 400-degree temper, it overshoots the 400 degrees. I don't think it's the time it takes between... I think that the residual heat takes you out of between... Because, you know, the difference between 400 and 450 is quite a lot. So if you have the residual yeah. heat in the bricks, you end up... over. If you oversheet, overshoot too much, you know, you can ruin the temper that you're looking for. So I had, what I started to do is I started to, you know, I dropped the temperature down. Before I heard um, Craig's tip of the fire bricks, the fire bricks, if you put a couple of cold fire bricks in your oven as it's cooling down, it cools down super fast. It also takes down a lot of that um, heat, residual heat out of the bricks. But what I started to do was I started to just crack the door. I said, look at the, the, um, the, t uh, the tap control with the solid state relay. And then I, would, I could see that it was spiking up. So it was spike. It was shooting past 400 degrees, 415, 420, and then all of a sudden, what I would do is I'd crack the door, and that would be enough to kind of like draw it back down to where the 400 degrees. So if you if you're in that situation where you're having that residual heat give you trouble on the temper, just crack the door a hair. And they're aware of it. They're actually trying to deal. They're trying to figure out ways in which I think that's one of the biggest things that people say to even heat is how do you you know swap out from high heat temper high heat to tempering and they're actually trying to address that so but yeah. cool you so know. is that so we we have um the the competitors to even heat we're, we're sponsored right. by paragon uh and so i don't have i don't have any experience with even heat but for us we run into the exact same issue um trying to get trying to get it to cool down and then having it overshoot and stuff like that 
So I've, my, my tactic has just been to have the ramp up to 400 be really, really, really slow. Um, that, that is a really time. good idea. I just started yeah. doing that myself. Yeah. I, I don't know. I've never, I never even thought to do that. I feel like you're mocking me right now. I'm not. I'm like. I'm like. I, I'm not mocking you at all. I do. I do AF, ASAP. You know. That's a good. No, I'm not yeah, mocking I'd you. Trust me. That. When I mock That's you. Great. When I mock you, will you'll know it. There's going to be no. There will be. There will be zero hesitation. You will know a hundred percent. Don't worry. Uh, oh man. But yeah, that's, that's an awesome uh, idea. That's something that we've had issues with. Where it, it, yeah, I mean, it's so easy for those things because they're so powerful to shoot right past, and especially if they're trying to account for cold fire bricks to, yeah, then, then ramp up right past it. So I, I'll generally set it down to like a hundred degrees an hour or something like that, something slow, um, and let it just climb its way up. And then that thermal couple takes over and it doesn't shoot past too bad. So perfect. Perfect. That's a banging tip, dude. That's a banging tip. We've got another question from Olivia at Warcraft Knives, and, and this one is for Morocco and Will, I think. When making a Damascus billet, can you dunk in water so you can get to grind in, or is it best to let it cool down completely? Um, I'll let Morocco answer this one first. Sure. I would, I've definitely done that in the past, um, but it's because the billet has cooled down to where I can actually handle it it's still hot, but I can hold it for longer than like 20 or 30 seconds. That tells me that it's not still extremely hot in the core and just cold on the outside. Um, but until you have that experience, I would advise to just stick it in front of a fan and let it cool off basically completely. Um, because with that large of a mass of material, uh, depending on the size of your billet, even if it's one inch thick, it, the the thermal difference between the outside and the inside could be, um, it, it could be too much and too stressful for the material for it to dunk into water. Um, and honestly, I, I felt really uh, pretty nervous and a little scared that I was going to totally mess up the steel, but I was under a time crunch and I really wanted, you know, instead of waiting another 20 minutes, 30 minutes to let it cool down completely, uh, I wanted to get working on it right then. And the only reason I felt comfortable doing it, like I said, is because I could hold the steel for a solid amount of time. It was still pretty damn hot. It was probably about 100 degrees, 120 degrees. Um, but I could hold it for 20, 30 seconds, no problem. And at that point, to me, it feels the same as the, the heat that builds up in the steel when you're cleaning the billet off. Uh, I do all my billet grinding on yeah. my grinder. And so it, if, it's, if it basically doesn't feel any different than that, then I'm like, all right, I can dunk this in the water. I'm, it's going to be all right. So uh, I think metallurgically, you're not going to be making, you're not going to be harming the steel if you cool it off uh, under 400 degrees, I think is the, is the cutoff point. That being said, like like Mareko said, it's really easy for the inside of the billet to still be pretty warm and the outside to be different. And so I I generally like obvious I, I prefer to let it cool down all the way to the point where it's at room temperature. But if I'm like like having a long day of forging and I'm just waiting for this billet to cool down, then I'll let it cool down to generally like three hundred degrees and then I'll do a really, really fast quench in water. Uh, like just in and out and it's, you know, steams up really bad and stuff like that. Uh, and then I'll wait for a second and then I'll do that again. 
and I'll just do those really fast clinches so that I'm not hopefully shocking the core of that too much. Uh, I, and, and if it's, if it's, I don't think that there's generally, I would be surprised if there was a hundred degree difference in like a one inch square bar or something like that. And a lot of the time I'm doing like, if it's my initial restack or something like that, my, my steel is going to be a half inch thick and two inches wide or whatever it is. And so I'm not too worried about that. Uh, like the thermal difference in there. Um, but if it's, yeah, like a big mosaic billet or something like that, I want that to cool down as slowly as possible. Cause generally it's going to the bandsaw right after that. And it's not fun to try to cut through hardened steel on the bandsaw. But I would say, I would say generally like so long as you're below like 300 degrees, I don't think metallurgically you're going to be doing anything too damaging to the steel. Cool. Uh, you've earned your lunch already. Well, <laughs> uh, that, that oven tip was did, did it for me. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> All right. This next okay one is there, from Jeff? at, yes, <laughs> is from ad knife works. Uh, it says, dear diary, I have a question. I have a request to make a boning knife. What are some things I should keep in mind when it comes to design and function? Jeff. Well, I just learned a few things. One thing is um, you don't want it to be as flexible as like a uh, a fillet knife. You want it to be on the stiff side with a little bit of flex, but not too much. Depending on the type, the you know, what we think of as a boning knife is usually like the the depth is like maximum three quarters of an inch um a lot of times they're on the thinner side because they're more like a scalpel so you're using it like uh the preparation is more for like you know like a scalpel you're 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 either removing silver skin or you're going around a bone or something like that um the other thing is comfort in the grip uh one of the things they were the my the butchers i was dealing with um were telling me is there's a lot of fat going around so you want to make sure that you have a good grip on it and the fat makes everything very slick um and then really focus on especially the difference between a home cook and a in a and a uh uh production person is you want to make sure it's really ergonomic and comfortable especially towards the front of the knife like where the the knuckle guard would be or the bolster you want to make sure that you're that's you're not going with all that fat on the handle you don't want to be slipping up the handle uh, up the knife blade and um you know, it should be something more on, it should be nimble. You should be comfortable with it on a, in a different, a lot of different positions. Anybody want to add anything? Yeah. Not actually. a single joke there. I'm, I'm proud of you, Jeff. No. I make jokes, <laughs> but you're the one who takes some of the jokes that I didn't even see. So now I'm trying to like think about what I'm actually saying and then thinking, is it, <laughs> is this possibly going to be something that I'm going to make is going to un- unfortunate joke? But no, I'm, I'm. Will's here, and I gotta control myself. We're growing. <laughs> the only my mom's gonna get mad if you get really crass. I know. <laughs> trust me, Mrs. Stelter. We're here for you and your son. Don't worry. We're gonna hold it together. Uh, if I could add anything to that, uh, that was all great. The one thing that I've heard from uh, spe- uh, hunters and, and professional meat cutters and, and butchers is that you don't want any fancy grind. Uh, on a boning knife you want it to just be flat uh, no convex no hollow no nothing because uh, you don't want any steerage to come from the actual geometry of the knife Uh, you want it to be kind of uh, neutral in that kind of uh, 
when thinking about that because you want the steerage and the control you the, the the user of the knife should be the one that's controlling where the knife is going not the knife because it's ground a certain way so anything you can do to try to maintain a, a kind of a more neutral geometry that isn't going to cause it to steer anywhere the better and that also helps because it's on the thin it's on the the depth is like three quarters of an inch half an inch you're yeah. not dealing with you know drag at all it has nothing to do with you know Mm. food release or any of that you're just trying to like navigate through you're trying to navigate like an exacto knife yeah okay big forge blacksmithing says hey man can i ask you a question he has a problem drilling pinholes through wood and he says his pin which is 330 seconds brass um slides through the tang pinholes like a hot knife through butter but gets stuck when trying to get through the wood scale pinholes both the holes in the tang and the holes in the scales were drilled with the same drill bit. Any thoughts to why this might be happening and how to remedy it? Um, I, I'm going to kick straight off with this, with the, the, something that I noticed that just reading that out. That, um, both were drilled with the same drill bit. Maybe that's an issue where you're using the same bits for steel as you are for, for wood. Um, but occasionally, if I'm using a really hard wood and I find that things are tight, and if I'm using pins as opposed to bolts... What I'll do, I'll just chuck that pin up into a drill. And I don't mean like a drill press or, you know, a drill stand, you know, a hand drill. Um, and then you can, whilst it's spinning, it'll just find its way through the hole easy enough. Um, but first of all, I'd say maybe look at your drill bits. Get some separate uh, bits for your steel and for your wood. What do you think, Will? Um, I've always just taken a much more rudimentary approach. And if it's going tight through the handle material, I'll just... Uh, leave that drill bit spinning and I'll just by hand uh, take the handle scale and run it, uh, run it up and like just hold it, you know, one side in each hand and uh, run it up and down on the, on the drill bit. And that just has, you know, like my hands are obviously not, not holding tight tolerances. And so that just kind of reams it out a little bit. And that seems to work pretty good for me, unless you're down to like 16th inch, in which case you're just going to snap your bits if you do that. But yeah, just kind of ream it out with the same bit. I also think with the pins, and this is kind of similar to what you were saying uh, about the drill, uh, Craig. I mm-hmm. think that there might be a burr on the end of your cut of your of your pin. Sometimes, what I do is is when I do pins, is I actually make a taper on the end. So yeah. I'm there's nothing on the end of that piece of pin that's going to catch on the wood. You know, it's going to go through the steel, but it, the, I mean, you know, the, mm. the wood's got a little bit of that fibrousness. You're gonna, you're gonna, or the whatever crevices, you're gonna be able to catch something if you got a burr on the end of that. If you're just cutting off the pin, even on a saw, you're gonna have a little bit of, you know, excess material that's gonna catch. So what I do is I, I'll put a taper yeah. on the end of the pin, and then I'll actually use the drill bit and drive the pin through, and the 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 tapered pin and will go right through, and then I I can see how far I need to come out, so I'm not tapered anymore. And that that that's always been the best for me. And I get a, you get a tight you get a tight tighter pin too. Nice. How would you remove that burr, um, Jeff? Well, here's what I do. I it, what I try to do is. I need good paper to make sure my burr isn't there. So what I do is I'm lucky enough to have Rhino Wet from Indasi USA. The Rhino Wet's really great. It's it really and Will knows too. It's one of those things that you know all sandpaper isn't created the same. 
you're much more efficient with the Rhino Wet. And what will happen is, is if you're more efficient, you're making better stuff. So if you go to Texas Farrier Supply and put in Knife Talk 10, you're going to get 10% off all your Rhino Wet. And if you don't believe me, just go get yourself a pack of 220 and you will be surprised. So thank you, Indos USA and Texas Farrier Supply Knife Talk 10. What, what do you think, Morocco? Any tips for yeah. that? So using the same drill bit for the steel and the wood is fine, but part of the problem potentially that's happening here is that uh, the bit might be doling on cutting through the steel so that when it's drilling through the wood, it's not drilling either a perfect hole or it's creating a lot of heat as it's cutting through the wood. And what can happen is that heat can, I don't know what it is, but I feel like sometimes the, the hole in the wood will shrink a little bit if it's if it's drilled, especially with a dull drill bit, um, instead of being cut with a really sharp bit. And it whatever pin I'm using, if I'm doing pins, will not fit in it nicely. And so my advice would just to be, uh, would be, well, definitely use taper pins like Jeff's talking about. Um, but then to also make sure that your bit is good and sharp when you're drilling through the wood, because that will help alleviate that problem. And if you can't take the time to drill it or sharpen that bit up, you know, augering it like Will was saying is also really good. It I, could I've be, done that as well. It could be dulling on the steel. And then as it's dulling, it's actually getting thinner. And then when it gets to the wood, it's a thinner bit. Right. You know, it so could be that bit. too. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying is because it's not, if it's dulling, those, if those, uh, those flutes are losing their corners, it's not going to drill a perfect hole. So, yeah. And remember it's, kids, safety first, clamp down your yeah. blades. There you go. This next question comes from Bike Shop 412 Hey man, can I ask you a question? I hear people talk about grinding out warps. How would someone grind a warp out of a blade? You guys are awesome. Thanks for everything you do for the knife making community. I've heard this. What do you think, guys? Um, I was just going to say, I, I have definitely ground out warps. And what this means is that, um, especially when it's a Damascus knife, sometimes you want to retain some extra material, um, especially down, you know, outward tip tapers down to the point as well as down at the edge. And, um, and basically the idea is that you're working with enough material that even after heat treat, um, and even a little flexing, there still might be a little bit of a warp. And what you can do is instead of trying to correct that, you can just adjust the way the blade is ground to account for that warp. And it's usually, you, you can't really do it if it's a major warp. It's literally like if it's only off by just a couple hairs, um, you know, y you can you can grind that to straighten things up. But uh, out, anything more than that, you, you're going to have to go back through heat treat or do some work um, with clamping system like, you know, like Nick Anger's approach of clamping with spacers and all that kind of stuff. Shim temper. Shim temper. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah, sometimes. um you know, the heat, you know, I, I learned when I was in a metal shop, uh, we were doing a lot of satin finish on elevator railings, that if you put too much heat to one side of the railing, it would it would warp just from the heat of the heat of this, uh, the grinder on one side. So my boss was telling me, he's like, well, if it starts to bow, just flip it over and do the other side, and then you'll counteract that warp. I've noticed a little bit sometimes with certain types of steel and how hot they get, sometimes you do end up making a warp on your grinder. 
Um, I really try to avoid this 100%. I don't like to just like, all right, well, I'll hit it on the other side and then I'll pull that back out. It has happened. But now I'm far more um, uh, conservative in regards to that. And, and what I do is when I see something that's off by a little bit, I just I do a shim temper. I do a shim temper and I make sure that my t- – so a shim temper, uh, uh, Maraca was bringing up, is when you take a, a piece of steel, a, a regular piece of steel, and then you can use like – uh, n- nails or pennies or and then what you're doing is you're overcorrecting that warp and then you stick it in the with, with little tiny clamps and you stick it in the oven and then you run your te- your you know whatever your temper was you go a little bit lower and then you run it and then you 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 know you can do 40 minutes or whatever you don't need to you don't need to go a full you know two hours and what you can do is you pull the whole thing out and you let it cool in the clamps. And a lot of times, I mean, 99% of the time, if you have a warp, that's going to fix it. So the point is, is I think, I think the, you know, America is hundred percent right. I think it's, it's safer to be more patient and just run a shim temper, you know, a light shim temper to try to like pull that warp out. I don't like trying to, I don't like the concept of, you know, it's it'd be, all of a sudden it's cowboy time when you're trying to, uh, you know, you're trying to fix a blade with the grinder. It's 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 not optimal. Try, trying to fix grinder work with the grinder is a very slippery slope. I I've I've ruined a couple knives doing that. Uh, I actually had one. It was a nice nice Damascus like petty chef blade, and uh, it just warped really 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 bad after after heat treat uh, as I was grinding it. Like it was probably at least a at least a quarter inch, maybe three eighths of an inch out. And so then I flipped it over, did it on the other side. And it was probably about that far in the other direction. I ended up with a knife that had about, it was about a hundred thou at the spine and it tapered to about 80 thou or so. I don't know how many millimeters that is. Sorry, Craig. Um, uh, and then I, the last, like, I don't even know how much a thou last, is. Like, you don't know what a thou is. It, okay. So it was, well, it was I mean, about, I, it, it was a medium, medium thickness at the spine at the Ricasso, and then it tapered to about 330 seconds, a little bit under there. And then the last, like, three or four inches of the blade was just, like, paper thin. <laughs> and it just looked ridiculous. But I had a customer come into my shop, and he really liked it. And I finished that knife out, and it had a very, like, stiff three inches of like on the, on the, towards the, the handle. And then the, the like end of it was super, super, super thin. <coughs> was, yeah. But yeah, but yeah, certain steels definitely are very prone to it. Crew forge V is really bad at it. And it's, yeah, it's no fun to pull your blade off the grinder and have a giant warp in it. I'd definitely go with the shims temper most of the time. I think if you're doing things like bushcraft knives, where your steel is generally going to be thicker, um, well, first off, you're less likely to warp anyway because you've got that bigger mass. Um, but I think you've got more sort of wiggle room then. So let's say you've got a 5 mil, um stock that you're using um, and if you look at the cross-section of how it's going to look, you've got 2.5 mil either side to that to your centre point. I think if it's warped more than, more than that, it's going to be almost impossible to grind that out. So I think when we're talking chef knives, which are generally much, much thinner, I mean, minus or two to 2.3 millimeter at the spine um when they go into heat treat it's going to be virtually impossible so yeah i think prevention is always better than cure and i think when we're talking chef knives i don't think there really is a cure if you can't get the warp out by doing extra heat treats and using shims that kind of thing trying the grind is just 
yeah, as Jeff said, cowboy time. I don't even like those things that you put in your your clamps to try to heat it up and then just like pull it out of the oven and and then clamp it up, you know, quick. I don't even like that. I, the shim temper is such a easy thing. You can do it a pile of times as long as your temper is not higher than you were doing before. You can just ease it in and you can do it a few times and it's it's just a much more like gradual way and you're not playing games and you just have to be more patient. It's it's why I don't grind at all before heat treat anymore because warps are just the worst they're the worst thing for me so I keep everything um, completely in the flat ready for heat treat and after heat treat I'll do my grinding. All right, let's move on. Homemade knives. Um, what is the best strongest way to lighten a full tang handle? Um, he's heard people say that just drilling holes isn't the way to go. And again, he says thanks for the awesome podcast. Let's start with Morocco this time. What, what would you think is the best or the strongest way to lighten a full tang handle? Uh, the way I like to do to lighten things up is first by tapering the tang. Um, that helps remove probably at least a solid third of the tang material. And then also hollowing the tang removes, probably helps pull that ratio up to about half of the original tang cross-sectional mass or whatever you want to call it is gone uh drilling isn't necessarily a bad thing because effectively you're it's like the low-tech way of skeletonizing a handle um mm. and you know you'll hear people say you know you're weakening the knife but i don't know i don't know if i necessarily believe that especially when skeletonizing a handle or the tang of a handle of a knife is kind of a standard practice for a lot, of, especially like tactical stuff and other hard use kind of tactical knives. Um, but the way I like to do it, like I said, is tapering the tang and then also hollow grinding the tang just within, you know, the parameters, obviously, of the shape uh, on like maybe a, a three or four inch wheel um, just to help remove and lighten up some of that material in there. And that creates more, more like the, um, the structure of like an I-beam almost. Because you're not really removing space inside, you're just kind of taking out a little bit of the, you know, making it like an I beam. That's what uh, uh, yeah. Aaron Wilburn told me. That's what he does, and he's just like it. You it keeps the structure of the the tang itself. Will, what do you do to lighten your tang? Um, I've done holes. I've moved to the taper and fuller technique because I like that a lot more. I think the issue that that holes give, which first off. Like, I think it's, it doesn't actually matter too much because honestly, pretty much no one, unless someone is throwing their knife very aggressively and really bad at it, they're not going to be using their knife hard enough to be able to tell a difference. But the, the issue that I think, uh, drilling holes in the tang brings up is that then you're making like very, like pretty tight stress concentrations, especially if you get close to the edge. So that's the point where basically the steel is going to want to tear or break a lot easier. So I think if you're, yeah, if you, if you keep it really even, then it's not, not too big of an issue, but I like, I like the taper and fuller technique because then, uh, generally my pinholes are in the center and I'm not worried at all about, you know, a half inch of material or whatever it is on either side wanting to tear or break. Uh, but I would say generally like pretty much whatever you do, it's not going to make too big of a difference, especially on chef's knives because yeah. no one's going to be hammering on the tang of a chef's knife hopefully you never know but yeah I, uh, yeah i we, we uh, the 
all of us make chef knives and they're they're not going to be handled in the same way as you know something in the field would um so maybe not making too much of a difference yeah okay the next question comes from web blades hey man can i ask you a question horizontal or vertical nine inch disc grinder and you guys use disc grinders I've recently ordered one, but um, I haven't used it yet. So um, I ordered a uh, horizontal as opposed to a vertical, but um, I haven't used it yet, so I can't really answer this. Horizontal, as in it's so the so the disc is flat, facing up, facing up. No, no, facing. Uh, it depends which way you look at it, I suppose. The way I the the one I've ordered, the the disc is 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 sort of facing you as opposed to yeah. being flat like a table yeah 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 that's the way i usually use one i mean that's how i do it but uh you know i've seen guys like uh don win he has his so the so the so the disc is kind of facing up so uh, you know it's really it's about comfort i think uh he also he when he, he uses it I watched a video of the way Don uses it, and he uses it with like he's got one hand on the on off, and he just he does like little pulses once in a while. So he's usually very slow with the disc grinder. He's a disc grinder on the slow side, and he does pulses with the on off, you know, turning it on and off. Um, I have mine facing pedal. me. Ah, mm. uh, he needs a foot pedal. That's right. Maybe hook it up to his TIG. Can you imagine? That'd be unbelievable. Um, I, yeah, yeah, I. I uh... Yeah, it's it's really nice to have that. That's for sure. Have you used one with the foot pedal? Yeah, I've used a, a handful of them. Uh, a friend of mine over in Wyoming uh, uses a foot pedal on his, and it's super super handy. And then uh, Josh Smith, who I made that folding knife with recently, I think he's a, a friend of the show as well. He of uh, he has foot pedals on all his, and it's so nice because you can get everything. You know. If you're just doing those pulses to get things really, really flat and you want to have a lot of control, you can have both hands on there and you can just do a tiny little touch and you've got complete control over the material and you can, you know, either crank down on it and just, you know, keep your foot down and keep it going or you can do nice slow movements with it and it's it's super nice. Huh. So, so, is, so is that like variable or is it like binary on or off? Did you, do you vary the speed with the foot as well? So he has uh he has both I believe or yeah, I think nice. I think the one that I think the one that he has a foot pedal on is a single speed. But uh my friend my friend over in Wyoming has one that's just hooked up to his VFD and I think that's a pretty simple operation. I think you can use a TIG pedal or something similar uh hooked up to a VFD and then you can control the speed uh and you can control it um yeah. like I or I, I'm, oh man, no, now I'm thinking of pottery wheels because like a throwing wheel for ceramics is variable speed, but I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of a, 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 a TIG pedal with hooked up to a VFD. Yeah, it, it should be possible. should be possible because mm-hmm. it's basically a potentiometer. It's a pot and, and, and whether you're doing it by a, a dial or whether you're doing it by foot. So it should be possible, but that, that would be killer. That I'd love that. Yeah, that would be killer. It'd be like yeah, a Fordham I, using those Fordham die grinders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the easiest way to do it is you can buy those foot pedals that plug into a 110-volt like wall switch. So it's really nice for drill presses and stuff as well. Uh, but it just regular, it's like an extension cord, but there's a foot pedal on it. We have those on our bandsaw here too. And it's so nice to just be able to activate it with your foot. Super, I, super handy. 
I am going to order one for my bandsaw because that's the biggest. Will, you've come up with two really good ones. <laughs> two really good ones. Everybody, everything else has been fine. Those two have been great. <laughs> Foot pedals everywhere. Do you use a, a disc grinder at all, Morocco? Uh, I used to, just for kind of flattening things here and there, um, I know a lot of makers uh, live and die by them. Um, and especially if you're doing flat grinds, um, like I think Jeff has mentioned before, like he, he does, he hits it on the, on the, uh, disc grinder before starting his hand sanding. And that's really helpful. And it, just imagining being able to have your hands free and using a foot pedal and already having like the blade on the disc and stuff like that, or whatever you're, you're working with before, um, it even turns on, I can imagine that being really helpful because that's always the kind of scariest part is approaching that moving disc and hoping that you're going to land flat versus starting on it flat. But um, mm. yeah, I've only really used them for, I think the last thing, I, I, I have one, and the last thing I was really using it for was actually cleaning up and flattening the bottom of my integral bolsters. But other than that, I, I hardly ever used it because none of my grinds are flat. Uh, at the end of anything, so it it doesn't really play a significant part. Um, but say like I was tapering yeah. my tang, I would definitely do a bulk of my grinding on the my two by seventy two. But then I would take it to like the disc to flatten it to to truly flatten it, um, because disc bind or belt binding is always an issue um, it, with getting things perfectly flat um, off the off the grinder. Um, but on the disc, that's not an issue. So, yo, those foot pedals. I just looked. Oh God, that was me. God damn it! I'm sorry. Pie part three Ugh. shows in a row. I think. The, vo the foot, the foot pedals stuff are while you're doing that. Oh, Jesus. I was buying. I was <laughs> buying a couple of foot pedals. I got like I got foot pedals everywhere. I'm gonna have five or six foot pedals in the shop. It's gonna be great. Thank you, Will. They're really, really nice. <laughs> yeah. And if you, no and worries, if you, yeah. and if you. And if you plug in Stelter 10, you get 10% off all your foot pedals. <laughs> <There> you <go. laughs> the, the next one is from a friend of the show, and I think we need a bit of a competition here. We've all got to say, hey, cutie, in our best cowboy accent, and the winner gets to read the question. Hey, cutie. Who's next? It's terrible. Oh, come on, terrible. play along. Jesus, what's wrong with you? <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll do it. Hey, cutie. It's pretty good. Go ahead, Will. Come on, Jeff. Well, howdy there, cutie. There you Ooh, go. Nice. He wins. Will Will Selter wins. Go ahead. He doesn't have the question in front read of him. The question. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot. I'm so stupid. I'm like, go ahead, read the question. Like, what question? All I got nothing in front of me. Uh, uh, hey, cutie. <laughs> hey, cutie. Let's give that one. Uh, this is this is not the best of bits, but uh, let's read it's it anyway. It's not the best, is it? <laughs> What's the best way to sand the plunge line? Says Ben. Sanding the plunge line. What? What? Any tricks? Any tips? Will you do a lot of sun plunge line down and sanding? Do it. Well, but I mean, just, he just wants to get down and do it. There's, I don't, I don't have any, I don't have any good tips for it. I'm actually really bad at it. That's always the place that I struggle with the most. I just make sure that you get whatever you're sanding your sanding your blades up with. Make sure that you're getting as you go up the grits. Make sure you're getting back into the plunge line because otherwise, it's no fun to be hand sanding your blade at 400 grit uh, and to look back and find some 120 or 60 grit scratches back there, which is 
an all too common occurrence for me and then have to hop back on the grinder and try to get those out. Yeah. Well, I, I do what Jeff does. I saw that he did it in a video once or in a little clip on Instagram where he had like a like a scraper and he puts the rhinoette up against the scraper and you can get right into the plunge line there. Um, so, yeah, that's what I tend to do. The other thing is, is when you're using a sanding stick, you got to be really careful that you don't put the sanding stick down super flat because what happens is you get the J-hooks on the on the side of the stick that's on closest to you. So sometimes, especially with the finishing strokes by the plunge mm-hmm. line, you want to kind of angle it up. So otherwise, that back end kind of like is where Yo. the hesitation lines come. Um, go ahead. Finishing strokes by the plunge line. Are you not taking full passes uh, doing your final finish? Well, what I do is I go back and forth. Um, and then when I start to do the finishing strokes, I do I do full pulls. Um, not going back and forth. I call those the finishing strokes. Yeah. But one thing is, is if you have your stick yeah. flat, flat, flat on those finishing strokes, you'll you you'll have a hard time getting out those. Um, you'll have a hard time getting out those uh, J hooks. But also, you'll have where however thick your your stick is, you'll have a, like a lower spot there then or a higher spot you got problems you just got to be careful I, I know that some people do the thing where they take a, a piece of steel and they'll just like pull the sand the sandpaper through the steel the steel you put the steel in the plunge line and then they'll just kind of pull the sandpaper through um i just try to use i use a like, spackle like knife starting a lawnmower like starting a lawnmower that's right very good. You you helped me out with that one. Okay. That was an excellent assist. <laughs> I've yeah. seen people use uh, die maker stones as well to get in there. Yeah, no, I tried them and I just I couldn't stand them. They like clogged up so fast and they wore away really quickly. And it didn't feel like they were cutting. And I I got the ones that mm. Salem Straub told me to get. Uh, and so I was yeah I was a little bit I don't I don't know I, I wasn't a fan. I was not with yeah. Them. Those those sanding stones I've heard a pile of of good things about. Like I know Aaron Goff uses them all the time, and he really has great experience, a great uh, uh, system with them. But I also know that people say a lot of people say it's they're too fragile. They break in your they break really easily. Then all of a sudden you end up with like a chunks. Um, I just try to keep everything as simple as possible, and and um, I just go you know slowly, slowly, and then I make sure I have different sticks to kind of. complement the angle of where i'm trying to get cool yeah you know what works really really well for for doing plunge lines Hello, line well. of wet <laughs> nice. <All right. laughs> okay well one thing that we all need when it comes to our tools is a grinder it's, it's the one thing that virtually every knife maker is going to need um, and I want to talk to you about the grinder I use, which is from Clarix Metalworks. It's the BG Pro, and it's their version 2, which has just been refreshed, and it's amazing. It's got, like, a full cast aluminium body. It's got forward and reverse, and they make it so you can put different tool arms in, so either a 1.5-inch if you're from the US or a 30 mil if you're in Europe. Um, they make them to order. that You can even pick the colour that you want. 
Um, they're incredible. So it's clericsmetalworks.com. They also do fantastic um, wheels, as you can buy the wheels separately, so small attachments, all like huge, huge wheels as well. Go take a look. Everything is made in their in their own factory, and it's at um, it's within Europe. But they will ship worldwide as well at very very reasonable costs. So go take a look at clericsmetalworks.com. Hey you, you know what you should do. I know what I should do. I'm going to read the next section. Uh, this is our important portion of the show where you give us your tips, and sometimes we tear them apart because because we're mean like that. Uh, I'll kick it off with uh, X, uh, uh, what is that, 13? 13 underscore knives. Preheating your oil. He says, hey, guys, I started using a turkey fryer to preheat my oil. I get way more use out of that stupid thing than just one time a year. P.S. Buy a second pot for the bird. There you go. I see. So he's heating it in a pot and then pouring it into a quenching container or i guess he's quenching in the pot or maybe quenching in mm. the pot yeah I've, I've got a question for you guys actually when it comes to quenching and oil so i generally keep my oil in and it's quite a big sort of ammo box and it's quite big it's not one of those short ones um and my thinking was the more oil the quicker it will quench because um there's there's more sort of oil for the heat to dissipate into yeah. Um, but most people seem to be using like a like a cylinder, and you know, vertically put it put in putting the blade in that way, so from point down instead of the way I do it, which is um, from uh, cutting edge down. Um, what's the benefit of, of 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 doing it point down and using less oil? Because that seems to be what most people are doing. So, is there a benefit to that? I think there's definitely a specific ratio of thermal mass to or oil to thermal mass that you want. And I actually I've seen lots of videos where people are quenching knives into like coffee cans with oil in it. And all I can think is that is not enough oil to properly quench that knife unfortunately yeah. and so I think the more oil the better whether you do it vertically or horizontally I don't think that necessarily matters until you get to like sword lengths where you you know over that length of the sword when it's at critical temperature the likeliness of it to start to droop or something like that is gonna ha it's gonna happen and that's that's no good um so keeping things vertical is better but for shorter knives um like chef's knives hunting knives i i think you can quench vertical or horizontal um, I usually try to use at least probably two gallons of oil to to one of my knives um, when I'm quenching when I'm quenching a knife, mm -hmm. and I, I have a vertical tube, but that's that's mostly for storage. That's easy. It's easier to just you know a vertical tube of oil doesn't take up a lot of space. It can just kind of slide into the corner yeah. somewhere um, and not really get in the way so of things. So I I um. I always thought that the the cooler the oil and the more oil the they're the faster it would quench. But I got um, mm. got schooled a little while ago saying that to one of my axe maker friends, uh, and he had done the research on it. And it's the the thinner the viscosity of the oil, the faster it's going to quench because that vapor jacket uh, has less to like push out. So if it's like mm. a really thick oil, that vapor jacket is going to build up and have a lot more resistance trying to get off. Uh, so when the when the oil is hotter, it's a lot thinner, and so it actually quenches it faster, which yeah. uh, seems kind of counterintuitive to me. But uh, 
I looked it up and it, it appears that's the case. Um, so that, that was surprising to me. So my, my guess is that, um, yeah, uh, the, the less oil, I would think that it would probably quench faster because it's still going to get it below that 900 degree mark, uh, to, to form martensite, right? Uh, even if they're quenching in like a, a small tube or a small coffee can or something like that, um, unless they're quenching like a dozen blades in like a tiny can. Um, but, uh, yeah. And then, and then the reason that I, that I assumed that we use, I, I use a vertical tube. Uh, that's partially because we quench swords in the same tube that we quench knives in. But, um, for like edge down quenching, uh, my thought is, if that edge is going to be cooling off a lot faster, my worry is that it would pull a like banana shaped warp into it. And so I know that doesn't matter with, with smaller knives so much, but uh, I I've, I've seen that a little bit with like some of the kukris and stuff that I've made. Uh, and, and I know Salem Straub, uh, who, who's my main, main bladesmithing mentor has seen that with some of the longer blades that he's made as well. Um, and so my thought was tip down so that you're getting even cooling all the way around it, as opposed to edge cools off first, uh, constricts, pulls the spine, uh, or like, um, yeah, I guess bend, bends, it would almost bend at the edge, um, gotcha, yeah. sort of deal. That makes a lot of sense. What do you guys think about that? It makes a lot of sense. When when uh, I was first learning a heat treat with Matt Paul, he was saying the importance of when you're agitating the steel in the oil, you need to make sure that you're going up and down the from edge to spine, not go side to side to cool it down because that's how you get a lot oh, of yeah. warps too because you know too much comes off on one side. You want to yeah. kind of go in and then the agitation is what you know you're agitating it to prevent you know to resist the vapor jacket but uh yeah that makes a that makes a pile of yeah. sense that makes i never even i never did that end edge quench but that makes a ton of sense it's going to start to constrict um closer to that edge and then it's going to it's going to yeah i that makes a, a ton of sense yeah to be clear i'm not i'm not edge quenching it just goes down edge first, right you right know, super right, fast right, you know right. fully fully yeah. immersed yeah and I think I think that's a lot more like if you have if you have your knife ground pretty well, I think that's going to be a, like it's going to make a much bigger difference if your edge is at, you know, I, I don't know, how, like two mil or like one. I, I don't even know how to use mil. Don't worry if, about that. Don't worry about if your that. edge is at 40 thou and your spine is at an eighth inch, you know, then or if, if you're even if it's like your edge is at a 16th inch and your spine is at an eighth inch then that material is already going to cool down a lot faster, much, much less if you're putting it into the oil first, it's going to start to contract and, uh, and, and maybe, maybe warp your blade. I wanted to add one last thing is that, uh, heating the oil on the Turkey fryer can be pretty nasty, especially if you're using a professional, uh, uh, or like actual quenching oils, something that's like, uh, pet, uh, Petroleum-based product. Gosh, I'm struggling right now uh, because it puts a lot of gnarly, especially if there's any oil on the outside of the container, uh, it'll put a lot of gnarly um, s smoke in the air, basically, that you're breathing um, and possibly catch on fire. And that's the one thing that would really concern me about using a turkey fryer to heat up your oil that way. Um, uh, I, I actually, because uh, oils do have an optimal temperature range in which they work. Um, depending on what kind of quenching oil they are. Um, 
I ha for my AAA, it really wants to work at around 120 degrees or so. And so I, I actually keep a, a mild steel bar that um, I let it come up to temperature with the kiln. And uh, once the kiln's up to temperature, you know that bar is pretty damn hot. And so I pull it out and I qu actually quench that into my oil to heat up the oil that way. Um, and I just know from experience that I need to either do it a certain number of times or need a certain size amount of material to heat up the oil. Um, but then I follow that with my blade so that the oil is already hot and has that viscosity that I'm looking for. Um, so that when I go to quench it, it's good to go. But yeah, be careful using live flame to heat your oil. Yeah. Cause you don't need to go that far. So I would, I would think that the, 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 the propane, you know, turkey fryer would you're almost going a little bit too too hot that's why i do the exact same thing you do it doesn't take a whole lot to get up to about 100 120 degrees yeah so we got beef okay we've got beef we've got well you've got beef listener beefs so i don't know why but all of a sudden we're getting beefs in from you guys too so i'm going to kick off straight away with the first one which is i made this 80 he says hey cuties i got some beef for you i'm a hobby knife maker and made one for a colleague right before christmas it had a nice stonewash finish and then some amaranth wood scales with brass pins maybe it wasn't a, he's going through the a full story here Maybe it wasn't as sharp as he expected, totally his fault, but instead of giving it back to me as to resharpen, he gave it to another friend who said he can sharpen knives. Long story short, half the blade is now a cutting edge and the finish is completely ruined. He almost cried. He says, thanks for sharing and keep up the good work. Ooh. It's the worst thing. That's terrible. <laughs> Any, anybody sort of working on your work once you've finished with it is always just going to be like a stab through the heart so yeah i feel for you man <clears throat> when i when i saw the uh butcher knives from the butchers and they sent they sent them out whoever was they were sending them out to they went full blast they went real full blast and i was almost like i can't believe these are professional you know knife sharpeners they were like it looked like it looked like they weren't even off belts it looked like they came off of like a grinding wheel so yeah, that's that that gets me all squishy. That's always been my concern. I, I've always been worried about referring uh customers or any just anybody in general to specific knife sharpers unless I know that sharpener personally and know that they understand what they're doing. But I've seen like like when I worked in restaurants and even when like I don't know why I keep bringing up my brother being a, a meat cutter this episode, but they would have sharpeners come by and sharpen. This episode is sponsored the, by Morocco's the, brother, the meat cutter. Get your meat from Morocco's <laughs> brother. I guess so. <laughs> Whoa! Uh, they Whoa, would come by and sharp, sharpen the house <laughs> knives, or they would shop sharpen the uh, shop knives at the at the butcher shop, and they would just. It, my brother always said that the knives would come back sometimes worse, almost always come back worse than they were actually when they came in. And so the concern is that, sure, somebody can say, and almost anybody can say, I know how to sharpen a knife. But the real question is if they understand, really understand metallurgically what they're potentially doing to that knife, because they could be overheating that edge. And it's, it, you know, it doesn't take much to clean away, you know, if you heat it up too much or burn up that edge to clean it up and be like, oh, it's fine. I just polished it sharp. But, you know, 
I don't know. There's always a concern taking it to somebody, especially if it's not the maker, and you had that knife made for you, you really should try to go back to that maker and say, you know, I don't know why this isn't holding an edge. Um, can you take a look at it? That's really what that customer should have done. But I, yeah, I don't know. It always freaks me out having strangers sharpen knives. And for any more information about Morocco's Brothers Meat, you can go to morocosmeat.com and use the promo code KNIFETALK10. I thought you were trying to behave yourself. What's going on with you? I'm just... <laughs> we're trying to be, we're trying to be, we're, Will's here. He's, we got to be cool. We got to be cool. Kyle Heath, Kyle Keith, he says, my beef is the timing of Valentine's Day in America. Who the F decided that dead flower, the dead of the winter is a great time to buy people flowers? There you go. He don't like, he don't like Valentine's Day in the winter. You got to do it sometime. There's no romance in the air at Kyle's house. Well, I guess. <laughs> you know, you need a little... The winter's terrible up here, and I'm sure that Will feels the same way about Montana. It's cold. Why not you throw in a little something in the mm -hmm. February to kind of, you know, spruce things up? Blame Hallmark. Don't blame, you know, St. Valentine, whoever the hell that was. It's Hallmark's fault. Community Showcase. All right. This is Community Showcase, where we shed a little life, a little light, and a little love on someone in the knife-making community that we think that you should be following. This is definitely an opportunity for you to tell us to say that we, you should, you're probably all following Will Stelter, but you should definitely follow Will Stelter. So, Craig, Without a doubt. who do you have? Thanks, Jeff. Of course. Well, mine isn't a maker this week. It's something that I found online. Um, and it's a weird one because they make tools. They're, they're a company who make tools, but they don't have many followers at all. And it's, it's Nova Woodworking. And the reason they sort of sparked my attention is I, I saw a video. So um, Dave Pachuto, he's on the Making It podcast with Jimmy DeResta and Bob from I Like to Make Stuff and so on. But he had a delivery of this drill press and he did like an unboxing and review and so on. And, you know, I'm really into, you know, smart stuff, you know, CNCs and lasers. And, you know, I always had like electronics projects on the go when I was a kid. And this is a drill press that they make. So Nova Woodworking make this drill press called the, the Viking. And, you know, you wouldn't have thought that uh, a drill press could be smart. You know, they're, they're pretty dumb machines. They turn and they drill holes. But this thing is incredible. So it's it's a varial speed and it's got the, the, the motor at the top. Um, but it, it, it'll, like, sense when you want to drill. So when you start, it'll kick up so you haven't got to press on or off. Um, when you get to the required depth that you want, it's all done electronically and then they'll go into reverse. So you can use it for tapping and so on. So, um, I mean, they're not sponsors of the show, but it was just something that I thought was really interesting, which is using, taking a traditional machine and making it smart. Um, but yeah, they don't seem to have many followers anyway. So go and have a look at the other stuff that they do too. It's Nova Woodworking. There we go. Hmm. Who have you got, Morocco? Uh, this week I have a maker named Roman Stoklasa. He's stoklasa.knives on Instagram. His work is friggin' phenomenal. It has this very kind of Scandinavian aesthetic to it, but it's also really heavily sculpted handles, sculpted metal guards and everything. The flow of his lines and his work is really interesting, and he's taken something that looks very simple and turning it into an incredibly elegant and shapely tool. I don't know. I love him. His sculpting work, though, is 
phenomenal. Blows my mind. So anyways, you should go uh, give him a follow. He doesn't actually, he's only got like 1,700 followers, and his work is some of the coolest stuff I've ever seen. Stoklaza.knives, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Uh, my beef, uh, my beef, my, my community showcase is a guy by the name of Daniel uh, Hilgenberg, and his Instagram is silverthornknife. And the only reason why, the, one of the reasons why is because when the butchers opened up all their uh, bags, they, I immediately zoned in on his butcher knife. He's got like, he's got this butcher knife that's a uh, boning knife that's very hot these days. I know they're selling it at Burnell. I can't keep it in stock. All the cooks all want that knife because it's, it's a very stark-looking knife. He also makes other knives. He's a good guy. Actually, the last time I saw him was at Blade Show, and he might, may or may not have caught me stumbling back to my apartment and or my hotel room, and he says, Hey, Jeff, are you okay? And I was like, Yeah, I'm fine. What are you, what's, and I fell into a bush or something like that. So let's give, um, <laughs> give Silverthorn Knife a follow. He's a good dude. Uh, Daniel's a good guy, and uh, he, you know, you know, like I said, you know, we, we all make knives and he makes a lot of knives, but he, this particular shape and style of this boning knife is very, um, slick and it's very have to have in, in your kitchen bag. Nice. Who have you got? Well, whether it's a maker or a thing or somebody you think deserves the credit for what they're doing. So, uh, I have got a good friend who lives over in Italy. I don't know if you guys have talked about him on the show before. His name is Oliver Goldschmidt and he is just off the hook, talented, crazy, nice knives, super, super clean. Um, really, really, really good looking knives. He, uh, he came to blade show for the first time this year and his table was sold out in the first day. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's Oliver underscore, goldschmidt knives on instagram and he just does some super super very clean work totally self-taught maker really really impressive and he's just an awesome dude as well no nice you've you've gone over and done some work with him haven't you uh yeah so i i visited him right before i met alex for the first time in 2017 my family was over in italy on vacation and uh he uh he had just made an instagram um and he, he followed me or something like that uh, and yeah, so I, I met up with him, checked out his shop. He lives literally in the most beautiful place imaginable, like the rolling hills of Tuscany. And his oh. his shop is in like an old castle, basically. And oh, it's wow. like he lives on a on an olive and olive farm and vineyard, and it's like just unbelievable. Um, and so he, yeah, and he's like I said, just amazingly talented uh, and just the nicest guy too. I had a blast hanging out with him at Blade Show. Uh, so yeah, great dude. Definitely worth following. Yeah. Excellent. There we are. That's what I've got. <laughs> Looking good. Mm-hmm. We got beef. Beefs. The things that have been really getting our goat this week and really winding us up. Um, and for me, it's it's a good thing come bad thing. So it's TV. It's too damn good. It's stopping me getting stuff done. It's unbelievable at the moment. There's been so many good <laughs> things, and I'm, I've just been hooked because we're, I'm, a, I'm away from the shop, essentially. I've got a very sort of limited shop here now where because I'm in England for a few weeks. Um, and we're putting the, the kids to bed, and we're putting TV on, and it's just I'm staying up late, and I'm just, it's, I don't normally do that, but it's just TV at the moment is brilliant. So it's my beef because it's keeping me up way too late. 
I don't really have a beef this week. In fact, I have. I, so I'll, I'm going to share an anti-beef, unfortunately, <laughs> which is very different from this. But, uh, you know, I just I've been spending a ton of time in the shop and um, and which really cuts into the time I get with my family. And so um, these last couple of days, especially around Valentine's, we've been just spending a little bit more time hanging out. And uh, yesterday was kind of yesterday was kind of a, not the greatest day, but it also had its sweet moments. And one of them was after my son woke up from his nap. He usually doesn't wake up too happy, but <laughs> he woke up yesterday and he was v- smiles and bright eyes. And he came out and he snuggled up on the couch with me. We read a story and it was really nice to just have some good moments with the dude because otherwise I'm I feel like I'm basically in the shop all the time and so that's it I got an anti beef sorry sorry you just Jeff. went full no. vegan on us nope no problem I mean I'm I'm, <laughs> st- I'm struggling to find one too Will Will what's what's grinding your gears uh um hmm you know what I don't have anything I've I've had a great week I uh yeah I got nothing. Other than having to hand sand twelve feet of bevels, Ugh. that's that's my beef. <laughs> hand sanding, but it, it's made so much more enjoyable by by running away. <laughs> my beef, my beef is the is the is the lag in this podcast today. I had nothing. I literally had nothing. But the week's been great. Everything's good. I was going to do what Mareko did, anti beef. But the lag. This particular podcast. I don't know what it is. But we're having this lag between, you know, I don't know what it is. And it's just like the whole the whole thing. And it's not anyone's fault. I just feel bad because there's going to be a lot of editing on Craig's end. And, you know, that sucks. So there you go. Yeah. My beef is the lag. It is my fault, unfortunately. I think it is it, my fault. We're lagging because we're, I'm going off my phone. My connection's off my phone today. And it, it, it's all down to me, I'm afraid. But um, Well, your yeah, phone can get kissed his ass, you know? My beef is your beef is my phone. Yeah, okay. my beef is your phone because because you're, we're losing the flow. But fine, it's fine. Deep breath, Jeff. Deep breath. Don't get angry. Deep breath. Deep. This is my favorite part. This is my favorite part. Favorite part. Go ahead. This is the bit where we just say what we want to achieve this week. What's our dream? Where do we want to be this time next week? Let's start with Morocco. What do you think? Yeah, I got a knife. So I said I got, I got some a knife I'm working on doing some coffee etching today. Uh hopefully going to get some good contrast and then I have to send that out. I'm going to I'm kind of doing some experimental stuff on it. Um uh, that hopefully I get some good results on and can talk about next week. Uh and then other than that, I have a couple knives that are really close to being done. I'm really hoping to get those done next week too. So um those those are my big goals is to get Basically everything sent out the door that I have working right now. Nice. Well, what have you got? What's what's the dream for this time next week? Where would you like to be at? That's my favorite bit. Well, I'll uh, I'll spoil a little bit of a secret project I've been working on for a long time. Yeah. Uh, we've got uh, a production knife, a production chef knife that's that's my design that I've been working on since September, and we should be getting back the first uh, couple like initial prototypes for that. Nice. Um, and so I'm really, really excited for that. And, and so I've been, I've been going through the same thing that you've been going through, trying to figure out packaging and stuff like that. And it's just an absolute nightmare. Mm. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm really, really excited for that to, to get the first couple of those in and send them out to some friends to test out and stuff like that. So 
Cool. Yeah. So, so is this like a collaboration with you and Alec to have a branded um, product? Yeah. So it's it's a, it's a product that I'm doing for the Alex Steel Company. Um, it's it's my design. I've done uh, all the work on it. Um, cool. And I I don't know that how many details I can release other than the fact that it's a chef's knife and it's my design. It was I, I got the first blade in a little. I think it was last week, and it was really weird to to be holding something that looked exactly like I had made it. Uh, but it had been done on a machine instead. Um, just really, really funky, but very, very cool. Mm. I'm excited because I've had a, had a lot since I started working with Alec. I've had a lot of people asking for my chef's knife, um, and I just simply don't have the time to do it. And so it's going to be cool to be able to get some really, really awesome knives in the in some people's hands. Well, so. congratulations for putting us all out of business. Well, I'm looking for <laughs> I'm looking forward to testing it out. I, I appreciate you sending me one, and I, I'll give you my honest feedback. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for you to send me one too. Uh, <laughs> he should have kept his mouth closed. <laughs> there you go. Three knives for everyone. All right, there you go. Life Talk Ten. You get to get ten knives. <laughs> What have you got, Jeff? Um, I'm very excited. I'm very excited because actually Monday, I'm getting a guest. My friend, John Ariani, is coming up for the day. And we're going to forge a hammer. We're going to forge a couple other things. I'm getting ready to go down to Florida, so I kind of want to do more. I mean, I haven't been forging as often as I'd like to, but especially when I do any kind of demos or I go teach a class, I like to get like a couple of weeks before I go out, I like to forge every day, every other day, just to kind of get loosened up and stretch and stuff. So he's coming up tomorrow. I'm actually going to, I'm actually going to interview him for the podcast. He's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to do a hammer, a whole hammer episode. Um, that's exciting, and I'm going to get a... a, a five or so knives out the door and then i want to work on this big 11 inch chef's knife that i'm you know probably the biggest forged integral integral knife i've ever done it is the biggest and in the most kind of scary but uh i'm i'm gonna be uh getting that hopefully done i want to get i want to get it close to being i want to be done next week i want it out the door next week but you know how these things are scary cool there we are we've all set a goal for next week um that's a show I think that's a complete show. Um, <laughs> there's going to be hell of a lot of bloody uh, editing in this week. But <laughs> thank you, Will. Thank you for, for getting up early, spending some time with us um, and helping us out. We, we learned so much from you. Um, it's always a joy to speak with you. And um, Well, thanks, guys. Let's hope things I, go I, well with I your really production. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you guys so much for having me. I'm, yeah, it's always a blast. Yep. Cool. That's the show. There See you is. next week. All right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.